everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for FootballOutsiders.com. It was a bit of a tumultuous week four with COVID getting involved with some game postponements and such, but we've got some really good week five waiver wire discussion for today with a guest from Rotoviz, Sean Siegel. We'll get to that in a second, but before we get to the interview, I want to share an exclusive offer from Football Outsiders. Football Outsiders is the innovator of modern football analytics with proprietary metrics you know and love like DVOA and DYAR. They're used by teams, and they're also great tools for fantasy players. Get the most out of your fantasy teams and DFS lineups with an FO Plus package. Become an outsider today with promo code FANTASY25, all capital FANTASY25, for 25% off site-wide, and view all of Football Outsiders' great tools and statistics for your fantasy season. Okay, joining me on the phone today is Sean Siegel, co-owner of Rotoviz. Sean, how are you? Hope uh, the first four weeks of the NFL season have treated you well. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun and having all the the offensive fireworks and having some good success with the high stakes teams and just really enjoying what's what's going on uh, so far this season. It, it's it's been exciting. I hope it continues to go like this. Uh, how about you? How how, how you t- your team's been doing? You you feeling good about the twenty twenty season? Uh, yeah, so far so good. It's been fun. All the games to watch has been a kind of a nice distraction to what's going on out there. And I'm hoping that we won't have too, too many more game postponements or anything else along those lines. It is kind of nice to have the bonus extra Monday night football game uh, today, even if <laughs> the the reason for it is like less than ideal, I guess you could say. Uh, but still plenty of really good waiver wire people to talk about. So we're going to do our typical Monday game today where Sean will provide three and I'll provide three of our favorite waiver wire additions for week five at this point. And again, these aren't necessarily the best waiver recommendations. You can check out my uh, article on footballoutsiders.com for a more comprehensive list. But Sean, why don't you go ahead and get us started with your favorite waiver wire recommendation for the week to talk about? Yeah, so we're going to talk about some guys who maybe uh, in deep leagues have already been owned. I know that this first guy that we're going to talk about, Curtis Patrick, and I actually have played already this Mm -hmm. season in one of our FFPC main events. But with Austin Eckler unfortunately going down on Sunday, that really brings the focus to Joshua Kelly, a very intriguing rookie for them and someone who probably came into the league a little bit underrated if you go to the our nfl combine explorer his number one athletic comp is miles sanders obviously sanders the big sort of second year Mm. leap guy getting that full bell cow workload this season their thing kelly was much more impressive as a workhorse in college than people may realize there at ucla he was number three in backfield dominator rating and that's especially valuable for guys kind of drafted in the range where kelly was because backfield dominator rating is one of those metrics which will help you outperform draft position so yes he wasn't one of these trendy sort of first second round guys like so much of the focus was on during the offseason but he can really play and he was on my preseason zero rb candidates list because the role that we thought he might take would be similar to that role from melvin gordon last year and melvin gordon's role was actually worth 15.8 expected fantasy points per game now when i say expected fantasy points that's the value of his touches translated directly into the fantasy points that those touches would create on average right so this is actually a very valuable role now the thing that we know is philip rivers and then tyrod taylor now the rookie justin herbert it's going to be a little bit different offense maybe those running backs aren't going to have quite the same value this year and that's certainly what we've seen a little bit so far 
But Kelly, even with Eckler playing in three of the first four games, he's averaged 11.1 EP, right? So that's a very reasonable sort of RB2 or flex type of player to plug in there. Now, he's underperformed that. He's only averaging 9.7. and He actually did his best in weeks one and two. This game against the Buccaneers really struggled to break free. But even in that game, we saw him catch some passes. He split time there with Justin Jackson. He's a guy who can kind of do it all. And while he may not win your league for you, the role that he has here now over this next month or so is going to be very valuable. Oh, I definitely agree, Sean. So, I mean, I'm not too upset by anybody on the team performing badly against the Buccaneers specifically. They were last season's number one DVOA defense against the run, which is something that didn't always show up as stopping fantasy running backs because Jameis Winston threw a lot of interceptions that led to like short goal line opportunities. Um, but I really do wish I had your preseason conviction in Kelly because he's been much better than I expected. I, the thing that I just didn't really see him catching a lot of passes this season the way that he has He has already seen seven targets, which puts him on a full season pace for 28, kind of in that Mark Ingram type of range. And I think it's a little bit fair to treat him in a similar sense from a fantasy perspective, although Chargers probably not the same explosive offense the Ravens are. But Kelly is just, it's, he's so much bigger than both Eckler and Justin Jackson. At five foot 11 and 219 pounds, he's in that 30.5 BMI range that is kind of in the ballpark that you would look for for a bell cow back. That's where Melvin Gordon was, and Eckler and Jackson both fall short of 29 BMIs. So if really, if any of these guys are probably going to break out for that, you know, 15 touch a week type of workload, it probably is Kelly, and Kelly outsnapped Justin Jackson this last week. So I think he's a great option for you in your fantasy leagues, and is still available. I think he might have been dropped a little bit over the last week or two, so he's still available in about 25% of leagues. I think he's an excellent pickup. For me, I'm going to pick a guy that is uh, is getting up to that level of ownership as well, but wide receiver Jamison Crowder of the Jets. He had a hamstring injury to miss weeks two and three, but in weeks one and four, he had 13 and 10 targets and more than 100 receiving yards. And while it's probably easy to say, like, you know, the Jets, they barely have enough players to even dress to get out there, that may just be circumstantial. And once guys like Brashad Perryman and Denzel, per- um, Denzel Mims are back, that, you know, Crowder's workload may fall off precipitously. But I actually don't think that's the case. Over the last year since the start of 2019, when Sam Darnold and Crowder have both played, Crowder's had a 26.6% target share in 15 total games. That's actually would have been fourth at the position if he had played all of the games possible behind just Keenan Allen, Michael Thomas, and Allen Robinson. So Crowder is getting just an extreme workload out of the slot that I think makes him a pretty good PPR option. What do you think about that, Sean? Yeah, it's it's hard not to love Crowder. He he should definitely be owned in every league. Like you said, the injury, missing a couple games, and in a shallower, just sort of medium-sized leagues, that can force you to drop a guy if you can't play him that week. But Crowder's volume, he's in an offense that's not the same, but he has that sort of Wes Welker, Julian Edelman type of role with the Jets. Has a really good feel with Sam Darnold. Darnold obviously playing very poorly because he has so little to work with there. But when he has a guy like Crowder, who's even, as you sort of mentioned, sort of borderline competent, then <laughs> he can get the ball to him. And, and Crowder is more than that. He was one of the guys that our bounce back criteria picked out a couple of years ago when he was, again, coming off an injury, played extremely little. He's not the kind of player who probably, again, is going to win your league for you. 
But that type of volume, even if it's not explosive, and, and Crowder's got some speed. He's he's demonstrated and mm-hmm. created some explosive plays. I think the full package there, uh, if he's still available, you want to make sure you definitely get him. Talking about the bounce back criteria kind of brings me to my next guy here. Uh, somebody that we actually spent a lot in multiple main events to pick up last week. And it was good to see him kind of keep that going. And that's T. Higgins and then sort of the contrast with A.J. Green, right? A.J. Green going in the sixth round of a lot of leagues this year. And I didn't necessarily think that he was going to be a bust, but our bounce back metrics that uh, Blair Andrews has put together as part of his fantastic series, The Wrong Read, really raised a lot of red flags yeah. about Green, right? He he has the name, he has the production, but it really came a long time ago. And he's not the kind of player that you want to risk a pick on at that range. And what we've seen is that he's been absolutely awful, right? When he has more than double the negative fantasy points over expectation of any other wide receiver in the entire NFL. And that stretch has really coincided with this sort of mini breakout that we're seeing from T. Higgins. Now, people like T. Higgins. He's an exciting rookie in this class. A couple months ago, I wrote an article comparing the 2020 and that epic 2014 wide receiver class. And it was kind of interesting. Higgins actually falls sort of well behind a couple names that we really like. Uh, Ayuk, Jefferson, Chenault, some other players who have had big games in the last week, two weeks or so. But his number 80 in the wide receiver prospect lab it fits right in line with Jarvis Landry and Allen Robinson from that 2014 class. Yeah. And of course, not everybody who scores an 80 in the lab goes on to have careers like those guys. Those guys are obviously hitting at the top end of what their range of outcomes would be. But if we got a an Allen Robinson type of career from T. Higgins, we'd be very excited. This is a guy who scored 25 touchdowns over the last two years at Clemson, giving him a 30% career touchdown share, which you know, is especially impressive when you consider how loaded that team is. Now, we look to his 2020 redraft volume. That's what we're concerned about right now, not necessarily his dynasty outlook. But starting in week two, Higgins is tied with A.J. Green for second on the Bengals and EP behind Tyler Boyd. Unlike Green, he's right in line with his expectation. He's got 22 targets. Those targets have come 15.7 yards down the field. That gives him 27% of the team's air yards. And then we just look again at this last week, week four, seven targets, four receptions, 77 yards. The contrast with Green, who went one catch on five targets, you know, couldn't be clearer. I still think that Green is going to play a role in this offense, but with what the Bengals are going to need to do and what with what Joe Burrow is showing us, I think that both Boyd and Higgins can be startable players for you. I totally agree. And I've, I've got some statistics drawing different lines uh, of when the marcation is, but they pretty much say the same things that yours do too. So I have that over the first two weeks, Green saw a 23.4% target share and it's dropped to 14.3% the last two, whereas Higgins in weeks one and two, just 6.4% target share up to 20.8% the last two weeks. And that, that latter number ties him for 25th at the position. And I think that kind of gives you a good sort of benchmark. I think you're talking about more in the flex range for a wide receiver with Higgins. Green probably won't go away. You're right that Boyd is getting a lot of work out of the slot of late. But I, frankly, that's a little bit more than I even expected from Higgins in his first year on a team that, you know, has quite a few offensive weapons. Um, you know, even with John Ross being sort of unhealthy and active, I think that speaks well to Higgins' development and makes him somebody that I think is a great stash in your, your fantasy leagues. 
I'll be digging a little bit deeper with with my next guy, the last wide receiver we'll talk about. That's Tim Patrick, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, available in 99% of leagues right now, but really shined on Thursday night. Again, the Jets being involved, I know that kind of throws some some throws some issues with, with it, but I, I still do think he's a good player. The most important thing for me is that he played 76% of the team's offensive snaps. Jerry Judy played 69%. Deshaun Hamilton, the slot receiver, played 81%. Rookie KJ Hamler, 20%. And I really do think Hamilton and Hamler are probably fighting over the same same target share coming out of the slot. So I think Patrick is probably going to be one of the guys working on the outside. And if they can get decent quarterback play, uh, hopefully with Drew Locke returning in a couple of weeks, I think Patrick does have some fantasy value in particular in deeper formats. He's scored twice, and that's really buoyed his fantasy value so far. But he also is six foot four and two hundred and twelve pounds, so he's had zero point six seven opportunity adjusted receiving touchdowns over the last couple of weeks. So obviously scoring a little bit more than he showed so far, but he's also had a lot more opportunity adjusted touchdowns than Noah Fant, the tight end, who was probably the player we would have sort of on the outside looking in been like, that's probably the guy that's going to score most of the touchdowns. Really, all of the outside receivers, Fant, Judy, and uh, Patrick have the ability to score. And so I think if, if the passing can kind of live up to the skill talent there in Denver, which is a question mark, um, I think Patrick can probably be a successful option for you, in particular in your deeper leagues. I agree. And Patrick is is one of those guys who definitely is a, a deeper sort of play. But when he's gotten the chances the last several years, I mean, he can give you that one-week spike. And <laughs> if you had uh, you know, the miracle fortune to have him in last week, certainly he would have done that. The thing yeah, that I really definitely. like is the thing that you mentioned, which is his size. And I think that uh, with Noah Fant out, and that's so hard for me because Fant is the guy that I have on almost all of these main mm-hmm. teams. And so hopefully he won't miss too long. But I think that size gives them a little bit of a necessary contrast with some of the other players that they have in there. Hamler, somebody else that I, I really like. Fant and Hamler, I think, were sort of the in terms of cost to what you were going to get were the way to play it. But now with both of them out, you looked at some of these other guys, Patrick really interesting with just what he brings to the table all across the field, but certainly in the red zone. Yeah. Okay. Sean, hit us with your third waiver by recommendation for week five. Okay. So this third pick again, someone who probably a little bit more for shallow and medium leagues. If you already have him on the team, maybe it's a, a, an encouragement to go ahead and play him And that's Dalton Schultz really blowing up after the injury there in week one to Blake Jarwin. And even if you have some questions about his talent, what's currently going on with the Dallas Cowboys is kind of crazy, right? They lead the league in plays. They lead the league in seconds to snap. They lead the lead in pass percentage. Dak Prescott is number one in passing expected points. He's top six in efficiency. So even throwing at that level, I mean, he's not having a lot of sort of slippage from that he's actually outperformed that expectation number one in attempts number one in yards in both cases number two is nowhere close and that gives this situation where even though when you were looking at the cowboys obviously you're looking at amari cooper you're looking i think at cd lamb who really is the star wide receiver from this class that's loaded with them you're looking at michael gallup and then ezekiel elliott getting a ton of targets as well and you look at that and one of the issues that i had with the tight end position here with the cowboys is that you know if you felt like there were still going to be targets left over for the tight end position then you should probably have dak prescott as a first round pick even knowing what we know about quarterbacks and how replaceable they are well through the first month 
it's, it's actually been like that, right? It gives us a situation where Schultz trails only Kittle, Waller, and Kelsey in terms of expected points per game. And from week two to week four, which again is that sort of time period, him moving into the starting lineup following that injury, he's averaging eight targets per game, which is also fourth at the position. Now, if you're a Cowboys fan, you're certainly hoping that their defense isn't this bad. And we know that some of these numbers are going to fall off. But even once they fall off, I think we're in a situation where the Cowboys are going to have to pass to win. This is going to be an explosive offense. The efficiency is going to be there in most games. And so even if Schultz isn't the major talent that so many of the rest of the guys are in this offense, he's very viable and I think important at a position where if you score points, you can really gap your league mates. Totally agree with you, Sean. And I've been a little bit concerned if the Cowboys will be able to keep up their ridiculous pace of pass plays. And I'm sure they won't to that extreme extent. And that may end up costing Schultz some touchdowns. He's got 1.52 opportunity adjusted receiving touchdowns um, since week two, which is the fourth among tight ends. But like Gallup, Cooper, and Lamb are kind of all in that mix. So if the total volume of plays in the red zone goes down, then Schultz is Touchdown production is going to go down, but he's also 14th among tight ends with a 15% target share since week two. So it seems like he should be at least be in that tight end two range based on the workload. And it seems like the Cowboys passing offense is just so dynamic that I think tight end one is a very realistic expectation for him going forward. Meanwhile, for my final pick for for the week five waiver wire guys, I'll pick a quarterback, Derek Carr, available in more than 80% of leagues right now. Had a really nice day. Um, on Sunday and is now up to a 7.2% surplus in completion percentage based on next gen stats. So basically talking about how much or like, what, what would you expect the quarterback to complete his passes based on his passing depth? And he is second among quarterbacks behind only Russell Wilson in that statistic. The profile is pretty much the same as it's been two years ago, a 6.8 yard average depth of target last year, 6.6 this year, 6.7. So very conservative, shallow target kind of approach, but his completion percentage is going up 69% to 70% to 74% so far this season. And his touchdown, at least pace is going dramatically up. He threw eight, 19, two years ago, 20 last year is on pace for 32 this year, having thrown eight touchdowns and no interceptions so far this season. A lot of this could be, you know, related to the small sample size, to the schedule, to things like that. But I think when all of the Raiders are healthy, that they've made some pretty significant upgrades in the skill position talent. So it's not just going to be the Darren Waller show by itself and, and Hunter Renfro out of the slot. I mean, you've got guys like Henry Ruggs that I think can really generate some yards after the catch. I think Josh Jacobs is a very talented receiver and is getting a lot more receiving work this year. So even though Carr may be more or less the player that he's always been, he's always been accurate. And I think he's got the right kind of talent around him to maybe boost his fantasy production, even with the same profile going forward. Do you see any of that from him this year, Sean? It's been interesting to watch Carr because I think that if you own him, very super flex relevant, right? I think that you've got to be excited because he's doing this with guys like Nelson Aguilar and Zay Jones filling some important roles and if Ruggs is able to play at some point this season, what he did in the first half of week one, how he looked very, very impressing, impressive. This offense could get to be exciting. You mentioned, mentioned Hunter Renfro. And while he's an underneath kind of guy, he made an extraordinary downfield <laughs> catch in the that last, game last, the last week. two so, weeks. I mean, he's like a jump ball field stretcher all of a sudden, even though he's five foot nine. Yeah. So you, I mean, you look at some of these plays Waller, 
obviously a star. You mentioned Jacobs getting a little bit more involved. Carr was one of the guys that targeted late in the Scott Fishbowl because of exactly some of those things you mentioned. That format gives uh, basically bonus points for the completion percentage, and that has been Carr's profile now for a while, improving it even a little bit more this season. If they can get the talent, I mean, this team is starting to get to where it's a it's a solid team, it's a sending team. If they are good, then I think that really changes what Carr is and what he can mm-hmm. be from what he's been in the past. And as we start to move into the bye week crunch, as you start to deal with some of these quarterbacks who are either injured themselves or are losing playmakers, then he becomes an interesting guy there, especially in certain matchups to give you a little bit uh, more ceiling, I think, going forward than what he's demonstrated so far. When you're trying to win those weeks, that ceiling could be important. Okay, well, that's going to wrap up this uh, Tuesday episode of the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today, Sean. Sean, why don't you tell us where everybody can read your work? Yeah, well, I appreciate the the invite. It's been a lot of fun. Come on over to rotaviz.com. Check us out. Lots of great tools there that I think people will enjoy. Also, if you want to hear more in terms of some of the stuff that we do pod-wise, Colin Kelly and I have the Rotoviz Overtime podcast. You can check that out. Uh, Colin is awesome. You can follow him at Overtime Ireland. I'm not super active on Twitter, but if you want to get uh, sort of in contact with us, involved with us in the podcast, you know, hit him up at Overtime Ireland. Uh, those are some of the places where you can get the content and you can get the podcast from me. Perfect, Sean. Thanks. And thanks to all of our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, and review the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast on your favorite podcast platforms. Meanwhile, come back this Friday to hear all of my favorite DFS plays for Week 5. Talk to you then. Mm-hmm.